This silhouette is no one in particular. It represents that man or woman who disappointed you. They were your hero. They were your idol. They taught you, inspired you. You became who you are in part because of them. And then they fell. They gave in to temptation. They revealed themselves. They hurt someone. They hurt you. And your world came crashing down. You questioned the value, the usefulness of everything they taught you. Your foundation crumbled. Your root was uprooted. Your lineage cut off. Take a moment in prayer and speak this name again, asking God to bring you back to the unanswered questions of that time. And ask him again for an answer. What did it all mean? Let's have a moment of silence. Amen. So good to see you guys. I've, I've missed you. I've missed you. And for those of you at home, I, I'm so glad we're able to be together in this way. Um, I, but I do look forward to time and it'll be safe enough that we can all be together. So um, but good morning to you. So when I was a teenager in early 20s, I was very involved in karate very involved in karate. So I would like to start this morning with the karate demonstration. It's really short though, so watch it quick. So Max is going to come help us. So we have a training knife here. Ooh. All right. Yeah. So just kind of hold that out in a threatening way. All right. That's it. All done. Thank you. The master who taught me that could do that and reach out and catch it and hand it back to you. Can you imagine being able to do that move and catch it and hand it back? For a skinny kid, for a scared kid, to be able to go into that place and learn those types of skills from those types of people, it was everything to me. Absolutely everything to me. One of our masters had a prize student. Um, she was like 12 or 13. You could tell she was the prize student because whenever we'd have black belt only workouts on Saturday, she would sit on his lap. And uh, whenever they met, you could tell it was his prize student because they would have a big hug. He was like in his late 30s, early 40s. You can tell where this is headed. You could tell she was his prize student because whenever they said goodbye, they'd kiss right on the mouth. And the, the two of them would travel all over Missouri, just the two of them going to competitions and stuff. And as she got a little older, 16, 17, she, she suddenly quit. And totally expected by you, but not expected by us, there, she revealed there had been an inappropriate relationship. 
Now, you picked up on it because you could read all those cues really easy, but why didn't we pick up on it? Because this was our martial arts master. This was our mentor. This was our spiritual leader as well. I am Christian in part, not in total. I had my family as well, but I am Christian in part because these martial arts masters were Christian. They would pray with us before class. They would take us down to Arkansas for a week for karate camp. Can you imagine anything cooler as a preteen than going to Arkansas for a week of summer camp, except that you're doing karate all week? But they would also take us to the chapel. And there was a, uh, I just remember this elderly man and his wife, and she played piano and he preached. And they told us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And each night at the end of our karate stuff, one of the masters would take turns sharing their story about what Jesus Christ had done in their life. And then this happened. And then one of the other masters, turns out, was using steroids and and physically abusing his wife. Can you imagine when a, a karate master on steroids is physically abusing his wife, what that involves? Another one was cheating on his spouse. I mean, it was all of them, the whole pantheon. My whole world fell apart in like a year and a half. Just shattered. When our spiritual role models fall, it hurts us. Makes us feel very insecure about, well, then what did all that mean? I dedicated my life to that. I, that, that makes me who I am. And, and does that make me like them? It makes us very hopeless that anything could ever be good. Because we trusted this person. And then we shouldn't have. Makes us very cynical. Makes us very cynical and skeptical about ever letting anyone lead us or guide us or looking up to anyone ever again. It disillusions us when this happens. And it's been happening for a very long time. I just wanted to preach First Kings this summer. I never preached First Kings Quickly, as I dug into it, the title took shape. The Bible's Shadiest Tales. It's about King David in his old age and and the beginning of King Solomon. And you think you know a lot about King David. Oh, yeah, he committed adultery with Bathsheba once. Oh, that's the stories preachers will tell you. These are the stories that all sensible preachers skip. But since I don't have any sense, we'll preach them. So... Here we go. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1. King David was now very old, and no matter how many blankets covered him, he could not keep warm. So his advisors told him, let's find a young virgin to wait on you and look after you, my Lord. She will lie in your arms and keep you warm. So they searched throughout the land of Israel for a beautiful girl, and they found Abishag from Shunem and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful, and she looked after the king and took care of him. But the king had no sexual relations with her. That last line is not doing it for me. David is this old, sick man. He can't keep his body temperature up. Does he not have a single wife who will come perform this duty for him? I mean, at one time, David had 18 wives which is another sermon for another time. Does he not have one of the wives that will come spend the night with him to keep him alive? This tells you a little bit about where David's life is getting to by the end. Why did it need to be a woman at all? Didn't David used to be in the army? 
Don't like soldiers bundle up when they're out under the stars, especially in the Bronze Age. Can't he get one of his old army buddies to come keep him alive? Why did it need to be a young girl? Why did it need to be a beautiful girl? Why did they hold American Idol auditions all over Israel until they found this teenager? I don't need to say a lot more to convey how creepy this story is. So now our Bible heroes disappoint us. And that hurts us. That makes us insecure. I mean, David is celebrated throughout these scriptures. This David? What's that mean about the rest of these scriptures? Makes us feel hopeless. Good grief. If you can't trust this, what can you trust? Makes us suspicious and cynical. People walk away from faith over stories like this. Totally disillusions us. How are we going to heal from this and from this? We're going to need a new understanding. So disillusioned, that's what it does. It disillusions us. But you know, you can't be disillusioned unless you have an illusion, right? Unless you're looking at something that you think is true and then it turns out it's an illusion. And when it's taken away, then you're disillusioned. But that means, as painful as it is, you're now seeing the truth. Even if it hurts, isn't always better to know the truth. Yeah, we need a good disillusionment this morning. So let's start with these scriptures. First Kings is not a hero story. The purpose of First Kings is to answer questions like, well, First Kings is a story of decline. It's a story of decline. And it's meant to answer questions like, how did Israel go from being uh, the promised land to being a nation that God punished with the exile where other nations came and conquered them and then scattered their people as slaves? How did that happen? First Kings says, I'll show you how that went down. It's a story of the decline of the monarchy. How did they go from having a king like David who was described as a man after God's own heart to this creepy stuff? And it even gets worse after, after this. There's Solomon who has great wisdom, but he has a thousand wives. And then after them, it's so horrible. We only talk about it on the very worst sermons. The, the sons after that, the kings after that, they're murderers, they're thieves, they're child sacrificers. First king says, I'll show you how that got started. It's a story of decline of David himself. How did he go from being that brave boy who once slew a giant named Goliath to this guy who's holding auditions for a teenage nurse? And this decline, God warned them was going to happen from the very beginning. The very first day that the people of Israel said, We want a king. See, up to this point, they'd had a tribal ruler and a prophet would anoint that tribal ruler and they'd rule until they died. And then the prophet would anoint a different tribal ruler. And they're like, can we just have a king, a guy who's in charge? And when he dies, his kid's in charge. And when he dies, his kid's in charge. And God told them that's a terrible idea. A king will steal your sons and put them into his army. A king will steal your daughters and bring him into his palace to serve him and do creepy stuff like what you're seeing today. A king will steal your crops and your land and give it to his cronies. 
And if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel's warnings. Even so, that's the, the scariest two words in the Bible, I think. He tells them all this horrible stuff that's going to happen. They go, yeah, even so, we get that. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord replied, do as they say. Give them a king. God even tried to help him out. He picked out the best king he could get. It still turns out this way. Because, as someone outside the Bible once said, but it holds true over and over again, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we get to this David eventually. Why does God use these sinful people and his plan for the world? Why does God use these creepy sinful people like this and like this in his plan in our lives and in the world? Old Testament scholar John Golden Gay had the best answer to this question I've ever heard. Why does God use these sinful people to do his, accomplish his plan in the world? Golden Gay says, Well, he doesn't have a lot of choice, does he? Isn't that a great answer? He doesn't have a lot of choice, does he? All God's got to work with is a bunch of sinners. Sinners like David. Sinners like this person. Sinners like me. Sinners like you. So here's the new understanding that begins to heal us of our illusions. Only God is good. Only God is good. He is our only true and reliable king. And truth is, we never should have put that much trust and that much hope and that much of ourselves into a person. We have only one righteous human king, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, you can read all the stories of Jesus in the Bible and you won't find a creepy Jesus story tucked in the back that preachers try to skip around. It's not there. He is our one reliable king and he is in very nature fully human and fully God, so it's still true. Only God is good. Our God does not exploit us. He does not rob us. He does not take advantage of us. Now, I'm not setting out this morning to talk about elections, but I mean, I'm up here talking about kings and sinners, and I've now been through three election cycles as a pastor, and I get it. Like, everything you say during this year gets passed through that filter. So let me just step over to the side to election land for a moment. I just want to clarify a few points so no one would walk out of here thinking that I said something that I didn't say. This message this morning is about the uh, the sinfulness of people. And about the goodness of God. This message is not meant to tell you how to vote. I am completely positive that by November, all of our candidates for all of their various offices will have a scandal break before November. Because they're all human. And this message is not meant to tell you to ignore that scandal. It's not meant to tell you that that's okay. 
You've got to make the best vote you can because we've got to have an earthly government. You've got to make the best vote you can for whomever you believe will do the best by all of us. I'm just saying that God would want you to look to him alone as your reliable king. God would want your best energies and, and service to him. The things we're doing right here in this church community actually have the most chance of changing the world for the better. Those initiatives we're going to be praying for after service, they're doing real good in the world and they're doing it in the name of a reliable king. I'm just saying all your best hope belongs there. I'm saying don't let your emotions be shattered by sinful leaders. I'm saying don't put more hope into their goodness than you should. And when they fall, don't be more upset than you should be. Certainly don't run from faith because of something a person does. Only God is good. Right. We're coming out of election land and back to you and me and whoever this person is in your life. No other human has ever passed this test. Only Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, I want to say, David, when he walked with God, was a great king. He united Israel. He gave us the Psalms that we pray and cherish. My martial arts instructors, when they walked with God, they did share a meaningful witness. They did have a positive influence on my life. And they taught me cool knife stuff. But King David, my martial arts masters, whoever this is in your life, they were also disgusting sinners. And when they fell, they were only demonstrating what every single one of us as Christians should have already known. They are human. And only God is good. I know this teaching is hard and I know this teaching can be upsetting, but I really do hope that you can embrace it. I hope that you can embrace that only God is good. And that all humans are prone to fall. Because if you can't embrace this, I think you'll be setting yourself up to play a very dangerous game with your heroes when they fall. And they will fall. The dangerous games are called cancel or cover up. When your hero falls, and they will, if you can't embrace this teaching that only God is good, then you got to choose cancel or cover up. So if you choose to play cancel, then you're like, okay, everything that person's ever done should be erased from history. Anybody who would do that can't be trusted. Anyone who would do that can't be followed. Anyone who did that can't be celebrated. Nothing they've ever brought to our culture matters anymore. Erase them from the pages of history if possible. Once you start playing that game, You'll have to cancel everybody. You'll have to cancel yourself. And then there's nothing to base anything on. The other game's equally dangerous though. Cover up. Cover up's where the sin of your hero comes up and you're like, well, I didn't hear that they said that. I don't really believe that that happened. Or worse, you redefine it as not sin. Well, everybody does that. That's not really that big a deal. That's just how it is. Now you're one of the bad guys. Now you're complicit. You call evil good. 
I just don't want that for anybody. As Christians, we don't have to play either of those games. We don't have to play cancel. We don't have to play cover up because we have this truth. When these folks are walking with God, they are at their very best and God uses them. And when they're not, redemption is still offered. Redemption is still offered. There's this psalm in the Bible, 130. It says, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could survive? Isn't that a great prayer? Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could survive? Because what about that? What happens when it's you and I that are the disappointing, disillusioning sinner? What happens when your actions shock your spouse? When they bring such disappointment to your husband and wife? What then? What happens when your behavior causes your own children to doubt that God is real? What happens when you let the church community down? Well, what happens is amazing grace. Amazing grace is what happens that God loves us even so. And so we love each other because he first loved us. We don't play cancel. We don't play cover up. Not even with you. When we sin, he loves us and so we love each other. Now we might need a new role. My martial arts masters don't really need to be teaching kids anymore. There are things I could do as a pastor that would say, I don't need to be a pastor anymore. Doesn't mean no one loves me. Doesn't mean God can't use me in some way, have some plan, but sometimes roles need to change. If you don't think you've ever sinned, then this whole idea of second chances and grace doesn't really mean much to you. Might even make you upset. But for someone like me, The idea that not all is lost once you fall is better than a miracle. Better than a miracle. We're here to build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. To build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing here at Lakeland. We should probably say that together because that's our mission. What's our mission? To build a community of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Authentic followers, that means what you see is what you get. Warts and all. There's someone from your life that needed to hear this message this morning and was not here to hear it because they're on the run. They're on the run because they don't believe God loves them. They don't believe there's a second chance. They believe they're too messy. Or they're on the run because they're disillusioned. Some church leader probably hurt them, disappointed them, disillusioned them, and now they're on the run from God. They're missing out on the goodness of God because of what a person did. You could be a part of sharing this message with them. You could invite them into a community, an authentic community, warts and all, where there's a second chance, and where there's opportunity to hear God is good. God is still good. And we're all still who we all are.
But we can turn to Jesus Christ and ask him day by day and hour by hour to deliver us from our sins. Pick us up and give us a second chance to do it better and be part of his plan. You could share that message with someone this week and invite them to be a part of us. Amen.